This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the MLB Pipeline podcast, the first of the new year. Happy 2021 to everyone. We have some trades to talk about. We had some big trades go down uh, over the holiday break. We'll talk about uh, both of those deals, both of which involve the Padres. We're going to talk to the Rays Senior Director of Pro Personnel and Pro Scouting, Kevin Eibach, uh, who was involved uh, heavily in one of those deals. We are going to look ahead at some prospects that we are most looking forward to seeing debut in 2021. And we're also going to take a look at some potential breakout prospects for this year. And we'll wrap up, as we always do, by answering your questions in the mailbag. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. And guys, uh, Happy New Year to you. And, to you as well. Uh, yeah, I know we, it's not like we haven't uh, spoken uh, in weeks. We've been quite busy, actually. We had a couple of big trades, which involved a lot of prospects. Um, as I mentioned, both of which involved the Padres. They traded seven of the top 16 prospects in their organization for a pair of aces in Blake Snell and Hugh Darvish, uh, both of whom are under control through 2023. Padres are obviously going for it here. Um, but to land those players, they traded away Luis Patino, Cole Wilcox, Blake Hunt, uh, as well as Francisco Mejia in the Blake Snell deal. They traded Zach Davies and then four prospects, Reginald Preciado, Owen Casey, Ismael Mena, Jason Santana for Hugh Darvish and Victor Caratini. So a ton to talk about here. Uh, let's dive right in. First of all, uh, I, I'll throw it out there to both of you guys. Do you you like what the Padres have done here. A hundred percent. I mean, the way I look at it, you know, I'm based in Chicago. I didn't grow up here. So I'm not a Cubs fan, but everybody, I think people assume that these windows of contention are going to last indefinitely. And it's, you know, it's easier to win than maybe it is. And I look at the Cubs team who was involved in one of these trades that won the world series in 2016, had this great young core of position players. And they had a, a future hall of fame executive and Theo Epstein, you know, running things with Jed Hoyer as like, well, how many world series are the Cubs going to win? And they never even made it back to the World Series. And now they're trading away you Darvish. And you know, we're, we're in a climate right now where because of the pandemic and revenues were down, I, I'm going to assume that most teams are probably going to have reduced payrolls. But the Padres are being aggressive. And, and the Padres, it could have been very easy to say, look, we, we just had our best season in a long time. We've got all these young players. Let's roll with it. We're going to be good. But instead, I, I like the way they looked at it and said, you know, look, we traded for Mike Clevenger. He's going to be out. We're not really sure about the health of Denilson LeMay. Chris Paddock was inconsistent last year. So instead of, of hoping that LeMay and Paddock bounced back and things worked out, they went out and they got Blake Snell and you Darvish. And, you know, it's 
I mean, there's a lot between now and next October, but it looks like it's going to be a, a, a dogfight between the, the Padres and the Dodgers, at least on paper right now, uh, for, for National League supremacy. I'm pretty much on the same page just in, in terms of thinking the, you know, the Padres, uh, you know, I, I like what they did. I feel like this is different than, you remember when A.J. Preller first, you know, became the the Padres general manager and he kind of tried to go all in right out of the gate and kind of stripped the, the farm system cupboard bare and then had a reset when it didn't work. And so two things happened, I think, with this, this these trades. One, the players they've brought in are uh, sort of, you know what you're getting more, I think. Uh, and they brought more talent in and, and under control at relatively team-friendly deals. But he also managed to, while, yes, he traded seven of his top 16 prospects, you know, and then also Francisco Mejia, who is no longer considered a prospect, um, he did not give up any of the guys at the very top uh, of their top 30. It's still a deep system. So I think he managed to to do to make these all in trades without completely, you know, leaving the, the system barren. Uh, you know, which I thought was a, a good deal. I, you know, even if I'm kind of in terms of who they brought in, you know, everyone's very excited about you, Darvish, uh, and it may, it may be fine. He is 34 and hadn't really been all that good. And, you know, he kind of tweaked some things and figured some things out, but uh, I'm not as excited as that part. And on the flip side, uh, you know, the Cubs, you know, clearly trying to flip the switch. I am a little surprised that they didn't bring in any pitching since they've struggled so much in developing pitching. And, and that was a problem even when they had the, you know, the World Series team, the core was all position players uh, and they, they've struggled to develop pitching. So the fact that they didn't bring in any young pitching at all is a little bit surprising. Yeah, yeah and to me, dude, I thought those trades were, were really different to me. I mean, you, you look at the, at the Blake Snell trade, and the Rays got back guys who can help them in the big leagues this year in Luis Patino, who, you know, I, I think you can argue Luis Patino might be better than Blake Snell over the next three years. We'll see. I mean, Blake Snell's had one great year, and I think that's the only year he's qualified for the RA title. I mean, Blake Snell's good, but Luis Patino is ascendant. You know, the, the Potters gave up two catchers in that deal. But they didn't give up Luis Camposano, who's their best catching prospect. And they gave right. up Cole Wilcox, who you know they paid $3.3 million to in this year's draft. But they didn't give up Mackenzie Gore. They didn't give up Ryan Weathers. You know, they, they gave up a, you know, a pretty good chunk of talent in that trade. Whereas the, the Darvish trade, like to me, that was a no-brainer. I mean, I, you know, obviously you have to pay Darvish. And you know, his contract's not you know, crazy. I, I think they're going to owe him, I think, you know, with the savings on, on Zach Davies, 50 million over, over three years for a guy who finished, you know, is older, but finished second in NL Cy Young award went uh, balloting last year. But the guys they gave up, only one of the four guys they gave up has even made his pro debut. I mean, four really interesting young hitters. But far but away. The, the, yeah. the, 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 you know, those guys aren't going to have any impact in San Diego before like probably 2024, 2025. So I thought that one was kind of a no brainer. The yeah. Blake Snell one was an aggressive move for a team that's ready to win now. Like, yes, I think, you know, Blake Snell, you, you have more certainty. Blake Snell's probably going to be better than Luis Patino this year. Um, but that one, you know, it'll be interesting. That one could come back to bite him a little bit in the long run. But I, I do like, you know, like I said, I like seeing an aggressive GM who has a team that's capable of winning now 
and he's going to try to win rather than hope a couple things come through with the pitching staff. You know, AJ's not leaving. AJ Preller's not leaving anything to chance. So I, I, I really like these moves. Let's put a reminder on our calendar for three years from today and check back on uh, how Luis Patino has fared uh, relative to Snell. Deal. So, so when you say that, see, you, whenever I make these bold proclamations about Zach McKinstry or Luis Patino, you say that, but is somebody really putting these on a calendar? And am I going to get no. credit when I'm right? Or is it just going to be forgotten to history? Oh, that I come on. You? You're going to tell us when you're right. We don't, need, right. We don't need to remind that. ourselves. I won't remember that. So. Yeah, you will. I can't believe you mentioned Luis Patino and Zach McKinstry in the same sentence, by the way. You know, I have to mention Zach McKinstry every podcast. Like, we'll have to work that into Pipeline Jeopardy. It'll be like, like who told you Lise Patino might be better than Blake Snell over the next three years? And then I can say, who is me? Who am I? Yes. But that would be a more, more uh, grammatically correct way of saying it, rather than saying, who is me, I guess. Uh, we will not play grammar. We will just play Jeopardy. All right, we're going to talk to uh, Kevin Eibach in, in greater detail about this deal. But I think one of the most interesting parts of the deal is the – the Mejia part of it. And do you guys, do either of you still believe he was the number 15 overall prospect in baseball when, uh, when the Padres got him, he seemed like, you know, I, th- I think the, the overall sort of scouting report was that he was going to hit, you knew he was going to hit. You didn't know whether he was going to catch, but you knew he was going to hit. And now, eh, is he going to hit? I, you know, I still think he's going to hit. I, like for me, he's the perfect raise acquisition. You know, you look at what they did in the Archer trade and bringing in, you know, Tyler Glass now and Austin Meadows, both of whom had been up in Pittsburgh and had not found success. Uh, maybe they were younger and things like that, but I, I feel like it's the Rays are become the perfect change of scenery team, and they bring a guy in and they unlock the potential that we all saw when, when those guys were top prospects and sometimes it just takes guys longer. And and maybe if Mejia, if they just tell him, listen, go out and hit and let the, you know, you're going to play every day and this is what's going to happen. And, and maybe they saw some things in terms of what he's doing at the plate that they feel that they can help him address and fix. Uh, but I, I, you know, I think it's a combination of still believing in his offensive upside and very much believing in in the Rays uh, helping whoever they bring in unlock their potential. I still think there's talent there too. I mean, you, you, we're talking about a guy who, who's never really been given that many at bats. I mean, the one season, you know, he's played parts of four big league seasons. The one season where he got more than 56 at bats, he was a league average hitter, and that was while trying to catch and bouncing around and playing different positions and not being in the lineup every day. So I, I still think there's some offensive upside there. Um, I mean, I, I said this when they traded for him. I don't think he's a catcher. I think that's why the Indians traded him for Brad Hand in that deal is because the Indians didn't think he was going to be a catcher. Um, I think we talked about this at the time. I I don't remember if you saw him, Jonathan, but I saw him play third base, which was an experiment in the Arizona Fall League, and and he was not good there. I I would just let this guy hit, whether that means he's a DH or left fielder. uh, I would try to get him regular at-bats and let him hit. And I think you might have a 280-20 homer guy there if you let him do that, but I would outside of keeping him, I would maybe have him be my third catcher. I don't think it works as well as if he's going to be in a like offense defense quasi platoon with Mike Zanino and 
be trying to catch. Like he's just not a good catcher. And so I wouldn't even try to make him a catcher. I would make him, he could be the third catcher on my roster, but I would not be planning on using him there except in cases of emergency. And I would be trying to get this guy 400 something at bats next year and, and see what he could do. All right. Let's quickly flip this around uh, and look at the Padres. Look at their system. They've traded in these two deals, seven of their top 16 prospects. Jonathan, you mentioned they didn't trade either of their top two prospects. They managed to hold on to most of their top 10 prospects. But a lot of people have been asking after uh, both of these deals. They had uh, one of the best farm systems in baseball over the past few years. And people want to know, where does their farm system stand now? I know you guys haven't done a lot of research into this yet, but off the top of your head, well, where, where is their farm system right now? Luckily, this isn't completely off the top of my head uh, because I talked about this uh, on MLB Network already. So I had to think about it now. I didn't do any kind of you know comparison uh, or deep dive, but um, and we sort of talked it over with uh, with Jim and Mike a little bit. But I, I think you know if they were a top five system, I still think they're a top ten system because. They still have Mackenzie Gore and C.J. Abrams, who's got a big up arrow next to his name, Luis Camposano, Robert Hassel, Ryan Weathers. Those five guys all have a chance to still be top 100 prospects, uh, you know, in, in our new list. And then on sort of the, the, the depth side of things, you know, the thing that is amazing is that every time someone gets replaced, you look to see who's going on. And a shout out to Mike Rosenbaum, who did – uh, amazing work in keeping up with all these moves and, and finding players. The guys he's adding are all really interesting. So there's still depth here. So maybe they take a hit, but I, I'd still maybe say they're in the top 10, 8 to 12 range, somewhere somewhere in that vicinity, again, without doing any kind of real side-by-side comparison, but that's just a gut feel kind of thing. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I, I'd say, I, whenever we get asked that question, I say what Jonathan just said, that like, unless you sit down and start lining up all the organizations, it's hard to say exactly, but they feel like they're in that eight to 12 range for me. Um, you know, you, you look at the guys, you know, they're, they're top 10. Jonathan mentioned it, it, it's five guys who have a chance to be in the top 100 and two compete Marcano, Hudson Head, Reggie Lawson, Justin Lang, Terso, Ornelas. That's still a really good top 10 considering all the depth they've traded away. So, um, you know, they've got some emerging guys like Mason Thompson, in the teens, uh, you know, they, they, I mean, look, this is an organization that's gone out. They've found talent through the draft. They found talent internationally. They're going to continue to do that. I mean, I think that's another reason that, it, I mean, AJ Preller doesn't need reasons to be aggressive because he's aggressive. I think another reason he can be aggressive with their minor league talent is he has confident, confidence that their scouting staff is going to go out and find more players and replenish the system. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, this is not – you know, what they did, and I think they've done a masterful job of, you know, because they also gave up a lot of talent to get Mike Clevenger, too, during the season, is they amassed an incredibly deep farm system. And as they got to the point where they were ready to win, they started looking harder at, okay, this guy's part of our long-term future. This guy's going to help us win. This guy's kind of blocked so we can trade him. And, and they made those decisions. I mean, they gave some talented guys in the Clevenger trade, too. I mean, Gabriel Arias is going to be on our top 100 list at some point, I think, before two long, but they had C.J. Abrams and they have Fernando Tatis. So, you know, they don't necessarily, you know, if you're projecting their lineup of the future out, Gabriel Arias probably wasn't going to be their shortstop. They've got Machado at third, so he's expendable. You know, like Owen Miller's a guy I like who they, they found in the draft who can really hit. And again, I mean, 
He was a middle infielder. He was blocked. So they, I, I think they did a masterful job of figuring out, okay, these are the guys who are going to be uh, our core. And these are going to be guys we like, but don't really have places to play. So if we trade for, you know, in the Indians trade, they gave up six prospects plus young big leaguers. So be it, you know, we, we're, we're now, you know, figuring out who are going to be the guys we're going to win with. Okay. And before we bring in Kevin Ibach to talk to him, let's take a quick look at the four prospects that the Cubs got from the Padres in that deal. Mentioned them, mentioned them before, uh, but Reginald Preciado, uh, shortstop who now ranks number 11 on the Cubs' top 30 prospect list. Owen Casey, uh, an outfielder, now ranks number 13. Ismail Mena, number 15. Jason Santana, number 16. These are four guys who none of them has played a professional baseball game yet. Is that no, 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 Santana has. Santana, Santana. Santana, I only know this because I did our, I do our Cubs list, Jason, so I had to update all these. Santana hit 346 in the Arizona League. Um, again, it seems like it was ancient times that people played in the rookie-level Arizona League back in 2019. But he's played, but the other – Two of, the, two of the other, Preciado and Mania were international signees in 2019 who would have debuted this year, as would have Casey, who was a, a second-round pick in June. But because there were no minor leagues, none of those guys got to play this year. But, yeah, I mean, Santana has all of the pro experience of, of those four guys, and it consists of 77 games in two seasons of rookie ball. So, Jim, these guys are all extremely far away, um, and they're – kind of middle middle of the pack in terms of the Cubs top 30 list and the Cubs farm system is not uh, by any stretch of the imagination the, the best farm system in baseball but if you had to pick one of these guys and I, maybe it's obvious because Preciado is ranked higher than the others but if you had to pick one of these guys to be a top 100 type of prospect a real impact type of prospect would it be Preciado or do you think do you think we'll see any of these guys in the top 100 it's so hard to say because I mean these these guys were none of these guys was a first round pick or a like four million international guy. I mean, but I mean they, they all have upside. I mean I can. It was tough ranking them because if you want to just rank these guys on upside, you could probably put these guys. You know, you could put Preciado and Casey like maybe five and six on the list uh, if you want. I mean, Preciado is a, a switch hitting. You know, he's probably not going to be a shortstop because he's six foot four. Once he fills out, he's probably going to be a third baseman. But he's a switch hitter who's got power and, and he's got a good arm. I mean, I, I could see him if 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 Preciado reaches his ceiling. Yeah, he could be a top one hundred guy. I mean. Jonathan and I both really liked Owen Casey in this year's draft. Um, I think, Jonathan, I made you chuckle. I can't remember if we were on the air when I called him the, the Canadian Zach Veen. But he's this, you know, big, you know, athletic outfielder. You know, he probably winds up on a corner, but he's 6'4". He, he's got solid speed. He's got big raw power from the left side of the plate. He can really throw. It's a classic right field profile. You know, for the teams that love age in the draft, you know, he didn't turn 18 until July. So, I mean, again, if he reaches his ceiling, he could be a top 100 guy. And even, I mean, Mania is a speedy center fielder. Centennial is a twitchy shortstop. I mean, all four of these guys have upside. It's just the gap between where they are now and what their ceiling is, is huge because they're just getting going with their careers. All right. Some good insight from Jim Collis and Jonathan Mayo about the two big Padres trades that went down uh, over the past week or so. And when we come back, we're going to get some even better insight from the Rays Senior Director of Pro Personnel and Pro Scouting, Kevin Iba.
talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually, we just brush it off or blame ourselves, saying things like, I lost my mojo. Or we avoid it altogether with excuses like, I had a long day at work, or sorry, honey, I'm just not feeling it. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about. With a real healthcare professional who can prescribe real medication, it's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. The healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com MLB and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a healthcare professional and take care of it. Go to GetRoman.com MLB today. If approved, you'll get $15 off your first order of ED treatment. Roman is the official partner of Major League Baseball. That's GetRoman.com MLB. GetRoman.com MLB. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo, and we are very pleased to have as a guest on the show today, Kevin Eibach, the Senior Director of Pro Personnel and Pro Scouting uh, with the Tampa Bay Rays. And Kevin, thanks very much for joining us. Uh, thanks, fellas. I appreciate being on the podcast. Kevin, we, we wanted to talk to you uh, specifically, of course, about the big trade that just happened between the Rays and the Padres. But before we do that, uh, why don't you just tell us a little bit about what your job entails? You are, uh, as I just mentioned, the Senior Director of Pro Personnel and Pro Scouting, uh, aka the pro scouting director just give us a give give the people listening a general idea of of what your job entails sure i know the title itself is a little bit of a mouthful um but uh i think you accurately described it it's in, in essence it's the uh, i supervise everything that happens in terms of pro personnel and pro scouting so the scouting element um, you know, is divided across multiple platforms uh, with the Tampa Bay Rays. So we have an amateur scouting director, we have an international scouting director, and obviously we have our pro scouting department, um, of which I head up. So all of our efforts on the pro side are concentrated, unlike the July 2nd signings um, for international players, unlike the amateur draft that happens every June or now July. Um, the pro efforts are always focused on uh, major league and minor league player inventory. Um, and, and sometimes that also transcends over to the, uh, to the independent ball um, realm as well. Um, but basically we want to try to infuse as much talent as possible um, into our system um, and I've been with the Rays for you know eight years now, and, uh, and I think in that time we've been able to do a really nice job of augmenting our our international efforts and our amateur efforts, and bringing in players via trade, via free agency, um, via Rule Five, um, you know, di different ways that we can inject professional talent into the organization. So, uh, about a year ago, we we kind of branched the department out. Um, the pro scouting element is very much like it's always been. Uh, we're out at the field. Um, you know, across the country, specifically in minor league ballparks, but also major league ballparks, watching players live, writing reports. Um, you know, last year was a little bit unique in the fact that we did had to do a lot of that via video um, prior to Instructional League, where we were afforded a few live looks. 
Um, but the pro personnel aspect of it um, is we've asked a, a group of our guys uh, within the pro scouting department to take on a little bit more responsibility and use their expertise to help us better understand a lot of our efforts in, in bringing players on. So that's working with our model, working with our research and development department. It's it's basically been the uh, development of our scouts beyond just what they do in the ballpark. So we kind of rolled that all into one and when we're called pro personnel and pro scouting, um, but it's it's really a, a full um, effort to to bring and infuse talent into the organization. Kevin, I have to think that when you're in this role with the Rays, it is an extremely important role to serve relative to even the other teams in the league because of the nature of how the Rays uh, go about the, their business. And, you know, you you look at the – just scan down the roster, Tyler Glass, now Austin Meadows, Manuel Margot, Brett Phillips, Randy Rosarina – Willie Adames, Nick Anderson, Mike Zanino, and now Francisco Mejia, Luis Patino, all guys that your team was involved in, in bringing in. Yes, yeah, certainly. You know, it's it's something that we relish. We know that we have a voice in this organization. We know that our roster uh, tends to turn over more than the average major league team. Um, so I think that all of our scouts um, and all of our people in our personnel department really relish the opportunity to contribute. And, uh, you know, certainly last year getting to the World Series and having a really nice impact on the creation of that roster. Um, it, it's something that everybody, they know it's a challenge. It's something they look forward to. Um, and, you know, this is I'm finishing up my 20th year in baseball. And w- compared to the previous teams I've worked with, this is certainly one of the more transactional organizations um, that I've worked for. And so it, it keeps you on your toes all the time. It keeps you in a in a spot where, you know, you're going to get called upon, um, much like a reliever sitting in the bullpen in a close game. You're going to, you know, Kevin Cash comes out to the mound and, and, and motions towards the bullpen. You know, a lot of times, especially during the offseason or at the trade deadline, um, you know, Eric Neander is coming in and, and motioning towards our pro personnel or pro scouting department and um, and, and really re- relies on us heavily to, uh, you know, to help fortify our, our, our roster and, and, and push us towards uh, the postseason. All right, Kevin, with that in mind, you know, how transactional you, you guys are, let's talk about the most recent transaction uh, in terms of the trade of Blake Snell. It's one of those things that kind of goes without saying, I think, that in a perfect world, you wouldn't have to trade a Blake Snell. But as you said, you're kind of used to this. How long of a process was this? You know, the the idea that the Rays may be looking to trade Snell during this offseason came up a while ago. You know, maybe give us a little bit of a window into how much work goes into finding the right partners, you know, finding the right fit, or is it the kind of thing where, uh, you know, Eric Neander comes to you and says, well, you know, the Padres are really interested. They've got the good farm system put together a package. Can you, can you kind of break down a little bit about how, how that process goes, how much time goes into trying to line guys up for uh, the decision makers to help decide on? Sure, Jonathan. I I think that's a really good question. Um, You know, I, the first part of the question, obviously, we we are very transactional. I, I think I was on the job back in 2012, maybe a month um, before we traded James Shields to the Kansas City Royals uh, for Will Myers and Jake Odorizzi, among others. 
Um, so yeah, certainly this is an avenue we've been down before, whether it's James Shields, whether it's David Price, uh, whether it's Chris Archer. Um, you know, we know that at some point that teams are going to, especially with pitching, we, I think we've done a, a really nice job, you know, over the course of my tenure here of developing pitchers and, um, you know, having them, having the talent to lead a staff and that becomes, um, you know, something of an attraction for other teams. So, uh, specific to Blake, you know, I think that we we got a pretty late start in the offseason for all the right reasons. Um, you know, I think I flew back from the World Series uh, just right before Halloween. Um, and already we were making roster moves just to, you know, kind of transition to the offseason. Usually you have, you have a few weeks to do that. Um, but we had to make some moves. We lost Mikey Perez on waivers. Um, you know, we had to get our 40 man roster back in check and get our numbers in check there. So I think we, we got a little bit of a late start on things and I, that, that trickles all the way down to Blake, um, going into the off season, it, it's, it's not something that we said, Hey, this is going to be the year that we trade Blake Snell. Um, I think one of our, one of our strongest, um, you know, one of our strongest characteristics is that we're always open-minded about everything. And I think teams around baseball understand that uh, we're never offended when a team calls on one of our players, um, whether it's, you know, the first guy on the depth chart or the last guy on the 40 man roster. Um, you know, we very open-minded, we will listen to anything. Um, so certainly when teams call on Blake or any other player, we're, we're willing to listen. And I think we took the attitude this off season that, you know, if somebody was really going to push us on Blake Snell, we, we owe it to ourselves to listen. But there was certainly a line that had to be crossed for, you know, to get our attention and to really have us, you know, dive deep into into a trade discussion. Um, so kudos to San Diego, you know, first of all, for for being aggressive. Uh, you know, AJ's a, a very aggressive GM by nature. And, um, you know, we've dealt with him in the past with the Tommy Pham deal and then Manny Margot and some of the other um, transactions in the in the previous offseason. So we know when he sets his sights on a target that, you know, he's usually pretty serious about it. So um, when San Diego called up, we knew that they, they had very, very much had interest in Blake and we had to do our homework. So I think it started there, but if you want to rewind a little bit, um, it re really dates back to, you know, this again, 2020 was a little bit unique in that a lot of our looks on the San Diego Padres um, via the alternate site or, or their major league club had to be done via video. Um, but Jason Cole, one of our scouts who uh, who covers the Padres both in spring training and instructional league, was able to get some live looks as well. So I think we had a, a fair share of live looks at some of the players that we ended up uh, getting in the Blake Snell deal. Um, but we also had a lot of history with those guys that we've built up over the years. And anytime I talk about any trade, I, I think it I look at it as like a storybook. And chapter one is the first time that we've laid eyes on a Luis Patino or a Cole Wilcox. Um, or a Francisco Mejia or a Blake Hunt. Um, and that could be several years ago. And we kind of write each chapter as we go. And I think it's the body of work and it's the complete book that helps paint the picture of the player. So even though 2020 was certainly unique in a lot of ways, um, chapter one was written long ago with a lot of these guys. I would, to follow up on that, Kevin, I was going to say, like, on all these guys, I mean, even Cole Wilcox was a known quantity in high school three years ago. You know, Blake Hunt was a, a fairly high draft pick. You know, Mejia and Patino have been heralded prospects for a while. So I guess the, the, kind of a two-part question, does it give you more comfort because even though you didn't get as many looks – uh, that you would in a normal year, you know, to trade a guy like Blake Snell. You've had a lot of looks at these guys over the years. And then two, 
whether it's this trade or, or any other trade, do you guys go into these trades targeting specific positions or is it just to grab as much talent as you can? I mean, was this a case, hey, look, we're giving up a starter. We need a guy back, you know, Patino, who might be able to start. We, you know, you've got two catchers. Was that an emphasis for you guys in the trade or is that just the way that the trade shook out? Sure, Jim. Um, you know, the, the first part of the question uh, I'll tackle in that you're absolutely right. I, I think that we build that history and it starts on the amateur or the international side. We have international reports, you know, dating back on Mejia and Patino um, from their time as international amateurs. Um, we have amateur reports domestically on Cole Wilcox, on Blake Hunt. So uh, again, that's call it the forward of the book. Um, you know, that's, that, that's part of the, the process that we, where we build the history on the player and we really understand the strengths, the weaknesses. And then as these players evolve as, as professionals, we're able to see how they develop and, you know, have they addressed the areas of weakness? Have they fortified their strengths? Um, you know, physically, mentally, um, skill wise, have they developed, um, so yeah, I, I think that process starts well before they they throw their first pitch or take their first professional at bat. Um, and, and I think that's just a lot, through a lot of hard work of, of the, our international department and of our amateur department. Um, as we see these guys as pros, um, you know, again, we continue to, to evaluate them and, and kind of write those, those next couple chapters. Um, as for, as for how we target the players in the return, I think we're just looking for best talent available. I know whether it's um, whether it's drafting for your fantasy football team or whether it's uh, you know drafting in the amateur draft in Major League Baseball. I think that's a common phrase that's used, but you're always looking to get um, the most talent you can in the trade, regardless of position. I think in this San Diego deal, it was a little unique in that one area that I think that we have the least amount of depth is as strong as our farm system is um, heading into this off season. It was, you know, it, it was a known fact that, that we could stand to improve our catching core. Um, both at the major league level, we had lost Mikey Perez at the, you know, Mike Zanino was a free agent that we were fortunate enough to resign. Um, Kevin Smith was another guy that, um, you know, was on and off our major league roster all year. Um, that was a pending minor league free agent. Um, so we, we had to replace some of that depth. And I think targeting a Francisco Mejia, um, you know, helped address some of our major league catching depth needs. Um, targeting a Blake Hunt um, also helped augment our, our our catching depth at the minor league level. Um, so I think those that shouldn't be lost. I don't think we specifically targeted catching, but San Diego was in a position that they had some depth in that area and it happened to line up pretty nicely for us. Um, but on the pitching side, the, getting the two pitchers versus getting two position players, um, from start to finish in this deal, we discussed <laughs> probably 10 to 12 different names um, playing all different positions. Um, one thing we always take into account is, you know, if we if we get a shortstop that happens to play at the same level of Wander Franco, like how does that fit on a, on a roster? You know, we don't want to cannibalize value um, by – by getting too much of one position. But at the end of the day, we do want the best players available and the best talent available. And then um, through the work of our player development people, they'll, they'll make sure the pieces fit into the puzzle. Well, one thing I took away from, from that is uh, never to play fantasy football with you. Cause you would probably fleece me on every trade. Um, <laughs> well, uh, Jonathan, I'm going to interject here real quick. 
Kevin, I'm in a fantasy football league with Kevin. I don't know if Kevin was fishing for compliments, but Kevin eked out a 1.05 point Super Bowl win in our fantasy football league. Okay. And we were in the same division. We both won eight and five. We both made the playoffs, but Kevin won the division. So, Kevin, I, I'm going to interrupt Jonathan here. Were you fishing for a fantasy football compliment because of your championship in the Ken Gold Memorial Scout League? Or was that just <laughs> coincidental? I'll, I'll leave it as coincidental, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just, you know, see, but I, I didn't even have, you know, uh, empirical evidence. And now I do. So now I know to stay away. Uh, I wanted to ask, you know, you know so Jim asked about, you know, looking for certain positional needs. But one of the one of the things that sort of strikes me is you, you have Mejia, who is actually off of prospect lists, and you have Patino, who's touched the big leagues. I look back to the Chris Archer trade, and you got Glass now and Meadows. You know, how much of an emphasis, and it's not that you stay away from the lower-level guys, but how much of an emphasis is put on bringing in guys who look like they'll be able to contribute almost – immediately, you know, in, in the, in the following year or right upon getting them in the trade, depending on, on the time of year. Yeah. I think proximity to the big leagues is, is, a, is certainly a factor in any deal that we make. Um, you know, we're, we're a competitive team at the major league level as evidenced by our 2020 season. And, um, you know, in, in 2019 as well, going, going into the playoffs there, but, you know, this is not, we've never attacked a trade as part of a, a major rebuild or a reset of the organization. Um, you know, we, we're very conscious of, uh, of how competitive our major league team is. So I think because of that, you're always looking to see if you can get pieces uh, that can add to the major league team, you know, be it early in 2021 or, or later in the season, um, you know, getting glass now and meadows who were, who had some major league service under their belt um, in the Chris Archer deal. I think that's really important. I think that goes a long way in the clubhouse uh, to helping the players understand that, you know, despite trading someone who is, you know, who's uh, as talented as Blake is that we're also getting back um, assets that can help us, you know, in, in the short term and help us remain competitive and get back to our goal of winning a world series. So, um, so yeah, I, I think that's important. I think the optics of that is certainly important. Um, and I, I think it's something that just in any deal that we try to balance out, um, having, having players in the package that comes back to us that are, that are major league ready or close to major league ready is, is pretty important. And I was going to say, Kevin, I mean, obviously the focus recently has been on the Blake Snell trade, but you guys made a couple of other interesting trades. Uh, you know, one even during the season, before the season ended, you traded Jose Martinez to the Cubs. You got Pedro Martinez, a middle infielder who's not big league ready, but very talented young middle infielder from the Cubs. And then at uh, the beginning of December, uh, as part of a trade that sent Nate Lowe to the Rangers, you got three minor leaguers back, Slavis Basabi and Herberto Hernandez, uh, who were both on our Rangers top 30, as well as Alexander Ovias, and I'm probably butchering pronunciations there. But uh, so, I mean, you guys kind of really played at, at both ends, too. I mean, you know, I mean, those weren't as as headline grabbing as the Blake Snell trade, but you got, you know, three pretty interesting prospects you know, who were on our prospect list, young position players who who might be talented two, three years down the road. So, I mean, I guess you guys are are, are looking at both the immediate future and the long term future when you make these deals. Yeah. And since sometimes that's a tough, tough needle to thread, Jim. But, um, you know, certainly we want to remain competitive for quite some time. Um, you know, we don't we don't really want to have the peaks and valleys that I think some teams experience. We want to have a sustainable 
competitive team. And to do that, we really need to rely on infusing talent via via trades um, at the lower levels of the system and not just the upper levels um, to kind of extend our window. We rely a lot on our international and our amateur departments to to sign players um, that kind of can keep this this thing churning. So so, yeah, I, I think it's important to not focus on, you know, on, on just one area of talent and kind of spread that across so that, you know, as you know, as we look out five years from now, that we still have an influx of talent here that's going to allow us to be competitive at the major league level, um, you know, and not just, uh, so to speak, push all of our chips in right now and, and sacrifice the future. Because um, while we are involved, you know, at times in free agency, we're certainly not one of the big spenders in baseball when it comes to um, signing the the real premium free agents. So I think it's like there has to be some sort of long play here as well. All right. That is Kevin Eibach, the Senior Director of Pro Personnel and Pro Scouting for the Tampa Bay Rays. Kevin, congratulations on a successful 2020, both in Major League Baseball and in fantasy football. Thanks for joining us, Kevin. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. When we come back, we're going to take a look at some some of the prospects that we are most looking forward to making their Major League debuts in 2021. We'll be right back after this. This past year has shown us that without your health, you have nothing. If you're not well, you can't work, look after yourself, or take care of your family. You can't enjoy the life you've worked so hard to build. That's why you need to prioritize taking care of your long-term health today, before it goes from good to bad to worse. So invest in your long-term health with Forward. Forward is intelligent medicine with a personal touch. Their doctors are dedicated to catching top killers like cancer and heart disease early before it's too late. And catching them early could save you tens of thousands of dollars in the long run. Everyone's health history is different, which is why Forward doctors personalize a health plan with you, based on your genetics, lifestyle, and biometrics to achieve long-term results and ensure nothing gets missed. It's time to invest in a doctor that's invested in you. Go to GoForward.com today to protect your future health. That's GoForward.com. GoForward.com. All right, welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. Guys, uh, there's a story up on the site now where we are looking ahead to the 2021 season and uh, the two of you and Mike Rosenbaum picking one prospect from each team that you're most looking forward to seeing make their Major League Baseball debut this season. And there are some really exciting names on the list. The top three prospects in all of baseball, maybe four. And I went through the list and out of the 30, 20 of those players are top 100 prospects. Seems like we're in store for a major influx of of young talent in the big leagues this year. That's kind of every year, isn't it? I mean, it feels like more and more. I mean, think about even in this shortened 2020, how many guys came up? Uh, I guess we'll have to have a lot of top 100 prospect replacements ready, uh, which is good. I mean, it's exciting when these guys come up because, you know, we, we, we like talking about them and letting people know about them and then have them come up and, and you know, find success. Or even when they struggle, it's, you know, it's always an interesting story. So it, there is a lot of uh, it, w- it was an interesting group of 30 names because some teams just don't they don't have that the top guy like ready to to break through. But a lot of them had 
like really, really top guys, uh, you know, and the idea of seeing, you know, Wander Franco, Adley Rushman and Mackenzie Gore all make it to the big leagues in 2021 uh, should excite, you know, not just fans for those teams, but, uh, you know, for fans of baseball overall. Yeah, I mean, and just looking at our, our current top 100 list, which, you know, we're in the process of updating, you know, some of these guys have already debuted. So, but, you know, I mean, outside of, I'm just looking at this, maybe, geez, Bob, you know, out of the top 15 prospects, I think Julio Rodriguez could play in the big leagues next year. Mm-hmm. Bobby Wood Jr. might be the only guy on our end of 2020 season top 100 who does not play in the big leagues next year. Um which is pretty interesting. That seems more than usual. Um, and, and so, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I, I think we're going to, we're going to see a lot of debuts and probably a drastically different top 100 uh, by the end of next season. And Jim, if you, if you expand that one more year, I was doing something kind of similar. I was scanning down through the top 100 list and you have to get all the way down to the number 48 player on the list to find a player who's, projected major league debut is after the 2022 season you don't think jason dominguez even though he hasn't debuted yet will be in the big leagues in 2022 jason come on Um, that's the that's the one that's that's the prospect i I will say the etas are all kind of blown up because there was no minor league season i i do think with the majority of the guys at the top of the list it's not going to be treated like hey this year didn't exist so you know, Riley Green, you're going to go to a ball in 2021. I, I think for guys who were in alternative camp, especially and, and got to you know maybe face advanced pitching, even though they didn't get game action, it's going to be treated like, OK, they got a year of development and, you know, we'll, we'll move them up a level or two in 2022. But I do feel like <laughs> like the ETAs we're going to have to take a look at on the younger guys, I think just because they didn't play like, like, I, like, I don't know. I mean, it probably still is realistic for say Grayson Rodriguez to make his big league debut in 2022. Cause he's really talented, but he also hasn't pitched above a ball, uh, low a. So, I mean, is he really going to jump from low a in 19 to not playing in 20 to the big leagues in 22? Eh, we'll see. But, uh, just <laughs> the COVID, another reason to hate COVID is it's screwing up our ETAs. Add to that, that to the list. We, we yeah. should have a little reason. Reasons that, we hate COVID. That could be, be like, very, very low on the yes. list. But yes, ETA it's on and, top one hundred. And we won't really. You know, the, the the larger point is we won't really know what this year did for the development of all these prospects, one way or the other, for for quite some time. It, it may be a couple of years before we really have a sense of did it slow guys down a lot did it help the 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 lower level players you know who went to the alt site um you know so i think that uh you know we'll just gonna have to wait and see how that plays out so of of the players on this list um you know we're just projecting that these players are going to debut at some point in 2021 which of these players would you expect to make the biggest impact because some of them may not debut until later in the season uh, but who do you think is going to be up early maybe even from the start of the season and, and make the biggest impact this year I'll go Jared Kelnick um, you know only because the Mariners have shown that they're willing to to turn things over to young players right away um, you know it, it wouldn't even surprise me now maybe they're not 
doing extensions right now after, you know, money losses from, from this shortened season and everything. But, you know, they did sign Evan White to, to an extension. If Jared Kelnick was interested in something like that, I could see them locking him up and he could be on the opening day roster. You know, every report we got from alt camp was, and then, you know, first from spring training, then from summer camp, then from, from the alternate sites, he was dominant. You know, he probably, he was ready to contribute, they just didn't necessarily have a space for him or wanted to start his clock or whatever the reason. So he's a guy that I think has shown um, that he is as ready as any prospect who has yet to play to play uh, at the start of 2021. So that's that's where I put my chip. How about you, Jim? Who's your uh, who's your pick to click? I, I will go with Andrew Vaughn of the White Sox. I, I, I think he might have been up this year had it been a normal year. Um, I think he's helped by the fact that, you know, he's not going to be asked to come in and, and bat third in the, in the White Sox lineup or, or carry the offense. There'll probably be less pressure on him. Um, you know, I, I think there's a way that he get winds up getting at bats at first base in DH and takes some of the defensive load off of Jose Abreu. Um, you know, I, I think they basically between – him, Abreu, and, and and four outfielders for three spots. They've got six guys for five positions. Um, I, I think he's going to come in. I mean, this guy's one of the best college hitters in recent memory. Um, I think he's going to come in and make a, a strong White Sox lineup even stronger. Jim, I have to ask you. Uh, I know uh, I know you guys are are busy working on the 2021 Top 100 Prospects list. It is not set yet. Um, but I want to ask you about Mackenzie Gore, your your longtime prospect crush, well-documented. Um, number three on the current top 100 prospect list. We'll see where he lands on the upcoming list, and maybe that will uh, kind of answer my question. But are there? Do you, do you have any concerns about Gore? It seemed like last year the, the Padres were in a position where they were bringing up some young pitchers. They, they brought up uh, Weathers. Um, for his major league debut in the postseason, spots there were some spots where it seemed like Mackenzie Gore would have or should have been the guy and wasn't. Any concerns from your end? No, I mean I, I think you know the, the the story was his mechanics got a little out of sync. They weren't going to just drop him into the big leagues um, when he wasn't at his best. Uh, I, I think there was also some thought that they wanted to bring him to the big leagues as a starter, not a reliever. Um, I have no concerns. I, I, I like Ryan Weathers. I'll, I'll try not to call him David. Um, I, I like Weathers, but I mean, there's no question in my mind that the Gore's best. I still think Gore's best pitching prospect in baseball. Um, and I just think with any of these guys, even the guys who reach the big leagues, like, like looking at our list, you know, the top pitchers behind Gore on the list were Casey Mize, who struggled, Nate Pearson, who struggled. Brennan McKay didn't pitch, had surgery, forced Whitley, another enigmatic year. Michael Kopech opted out. I mean, those are our, the top pitchers, the top six pitchers on our top 100. And I don't even hold what, you know, the fact that Casey Mize and Nate Pearson struggled in the big leagues against them. It was just an odd year. There was nothing about 2020 that was normal. Um, you know, I, would I have been concerned had we had a normal year and Mackenzie Gore got knocked around in AAA and had problems with his control? Yes, but just because the guy wasn't at his best in alternative camp, I'm not, I'm not worried about it. How about you, Jonathan? Are you concerned about Mackenzie Gore at all? <laughs> I really, I, I wanted, I wanted to play. Thought about playing like a vehement devil's advocate and be like, he's a total bust, but I can't do it. Um, you know, I think it's going to be fine. You know, they're they're erring on the side of caution. Uh, if he was out of whack, then why would you bring him up 
to try to figure it out in a role that he's not used to. Um, so yeah, I, I think he's going to be just fine. Um, you know, and he will be, I think he'll probably end up being ranked accordingly once, you know, once we put the new top 100 out. So now if we go into 2021 and he struggles in, I mean, we don't know what 2021 is really going to look like yet, but let's say there's some kind of big league spring training and he struggles there and in the minors, then you start to you worry a little bit that it's a sort of a longer range problem. He's still so young. And you know the stuff is still so good that I'm I'm not overly concerned. I'm not even going to worry about spring training. I mean, to me, it has to be. I I I will get worried or excited about guys once we actually have a you know consistent diet of minor league games and performance and see that guys are struggling. Like you know, just bringing up Weathers for example. Yeah, you know, like him. I know he threw 96, 97. He debuted in the playoffs. But like he threw 96, 97 in short stints in all camp. We haven't seen that, you know. Like so, I'm right. not w- willing to say that that Weathers needs to be number 20 on the top 100 prospects list because he's throwing 97 miles an hour now. I, you know, I let's see that on a regular basis. So it's, oh no, with, yeah, with you know, that, I know, yeah. I mean, I, just, and, I mean, for Ryan Weathers, you know, I mean, we sort of you know going from one lefty to another, but he, you know, the only thing I, I think we'll, we'll say is he clearly took a step forward in yes. some fashion with what he was – I mean, it's not his fault that he can go out and pitch in the minors, but he did something right for him to to be seen as a guy who could help them in, in the postseason. And, you know, and that like I'm excited to see what he does over the course of a full, full season, whether that carries over. All right, so that's our look at some, some of the top prospects that we're looking forward to seeing debut in the big leagues in 2021. Now let's shift the focus a little bit and talk about – some prospects that you guys think are poised to break out in 2021. Not necessarily that they'll be doing that in the big leagues, um, and most likely not, but guys that you expect to break out in the minor leagues in 2021. Jonathan, I know who your player is. I know who you're going to talk about. Jim refused to, to tell us. Yes. It's a mystery. He's not a team uh, player. So let's 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 let let the mystery linger a little longer. Sure. Let's Jonathan, do it. go ahead and talk. So I, I didn't even have to hesitate. It's got to be Quinn Priester of the Pirates. You know, I was excited about him from the time he was drafted. Jim, close enough to your neck of the woods to say he was from your neck of the woods? Yeah, he's from Illinois. He's uh, from Illinois. I mean, I, like, I, I didn't look, you know, I, that's like when someone says someone from Philadelphia is in my neck of the woods. So, <laughs> I, think you know, he's, I think he's closer than that. But all right, both, so we'll say from your both? neck of the woods. High schooler from Illinois, first rounder. Um, exciting combination of uh, stuff and size, projectability, uh, better feel for pitching than you would think f- from a guy in a cold weather state, a high school from a cold weather state. And then we didn't really get to see him, um, you know, obviously. Uh, but uh, he went to the Pirates uh, alternate, alternative site at the very end through you know, for the last couple of weeks. Uh, through ex- exceptionally well there, and probably would have been the the you know the guy I picked to to be their pitcher of camp had he been there longer. Then went and just was absolutely dominant in it in instructs. So you know everyone within the Pirates brought him up. I had scouts from other organizations messaging me out of nowhere, just saying like, 
Um, you need to keep an eye on what Quinn Priester is doing. He's throwing harder. He's gotten stronger with the feel for pitching. So, you know, he may end up being a three plus pitch kind of guy with plus command. You know, that's that's the top of a rotation kind of guy. And so I think he is going to be uh, someone who is going to very rapidly move his way up the right handed pitching or overall pitching prospects list. Uh, you know, it's it, people are already excited about him. And then if there is any kind of semblance of a regular season where he can go out and get a regular assortment of uh, of innings in in front of scouts and things like that, I think he's just going to keep moving uh, up the list to, in a hurry. If you told me two years from now that he'll be the best pitching prospect in baseball, I, I might believe it. Yeah, I, I was like going to say, I, I, before I give you my, my guy, if I was picking a guy from outside the organizations I cover, I would also pick Priester because what Jonathan said, I had scouts from other organizations doing the same thing with me, telling me how good Quinn Priester looked in instructional league. And his arrow is definitely, definitely pointing up. I, I, I think outside of the, the controversial Randy Rosarena, uh, that the Quinn Priester will probably be ranked higher on the new top 100 prospects list than any player who's not on the current top 100 prospects list. little insight into the uh, upcoming top 100. We haven't even had a quiz this episode either. I'm very disappointed, Jason, no quiz. Well, I'll, I'll turn this into a quiz. How far away is, uh, is Cary Grove High School, where Quinn Priester uh, attended school, from uh, Jim's hometown? Well, see, here's the question. Do you want that in, in miles or minutes? Because no, I want both. Okay, well, I think it's about 30 miles, which would probably take me an hour to get there if I if I drove to. That to counts Paris. as in your, in, in your yeah. neighborhood. I'll take it's that. Not, that is, well, it's not in my neighborhood. It's not in my neighborhood. Well, well I mean, it, 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 speaking in, you know, sort of just off the cuff. And when I said, you know, from your neck of the it's woods. It's closer than Philadelphia is to you. Yes. Okay. Well, we'll say neck of the woods is a larger area than neighborhood. So we'll, we'll stick with your neck of the woods. Yeah. Within an hour safely qualifies as neck. I think so. Okay, Jim. Well, it, it depends on what time of day too. Oh, now, for the love of God, tell us who your player is. Well, okay. I, we, I don't, we don't want to know anymore. Yeah. I, I'm not going <laughs> to tell you. You're just going to have to wait till the next podcast. I'll, I'll let it slip out. No, I, it's, I had a number of middle infielders I was intrigued by, but I'm going to go with, with George Valera, who, uh, you know, Indians outfielder. He's got one of the best, you know, left-handed swings you'll see. It's just a beautiful swing. He's, he's great approach at the plate. And, you know, he's, you know, at this point, you know, if the things had gone differently, he might already have reached, you know, high A, you know, he, he was signed in 2017 Broke a handmade bone in his right hand, so he barely played in 2018, six games. They, they Besides that, even though that happened, they jumped him to New York Penn League in 2019. He was the second youngest regular in the league, had a good season, had an ops over 800, and you know would have gone to A-ball this year, um, and there was obviously no season. But I think this is a guy who's got, a, got the upside of a, of a guy who could hit 300. He could hit 25 homers or more a season. The rest of his game is average, average run, average arm, average corner outfielder. Um, I, I think this guy is going to be a guy who could start flying up the top 100 prospects list once he gets to full season ball, which should have happened already and, and hopefully will happen in 2021. All right. And speaking of the top 100 prospects list, we segue to our final segment of today's MLB Pipeline podcast, The Mailbag. And we have a question from... Kyle Weatherly, not to be confused with uh, either Weathers, 
uh, Kyle Weatherly six asked, will the 2021 top 100 prospects list come out in late January as usual? And this is, uh, I, I think it's safe to say the question we get asked the most over the course of the year, when will the list be out? When will the list be out? We'll, we'll continue to get asked this even after answering it here. We will get asked this almost every day until, until the out. list comes out. And then it'll be like whatever the next list is supposed to you know, We'll put out the top 100. Then it'll be when's the top 30 coming out. And then it'll be when's the new draft list coming out. People are insatiable, which is good, I guess. Yeah. Uh, so th- the answer is, yes, yep. it will come out in, in late January as usual. And we're going to roll it out as we usually do. Uh we will lead up to the top 100 prospects list by rolling out the top 10 by position lists. And uh, believe it or not, those will start coming out uh, next week. So look for those. Um, Now it has to happen. You said it on the podcast. I know. Uh, We'll we'll do uh, top 10 right-handed pitchers, left-handed pitchers, catchers, first base, second base, third base, shortstop, outfield, and then – all of that will culminate with the new top 100 prospects list. So keep an eye out for that. Uh, one more question to answer here comes from Reed Martin at Reed of RSC. He says, Joey Bart looked like he was in way over his head last season with the Giants. Is there a cause for concern? Another is there a cause for concern question for you guys. Maybe that should be a regular segment every every week. Cause a a for cause concern. for concern. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we could just answer in a word, yes or no, or maybe. Um, I, I'm not too concerned. I mean, the, the you know, the strikeout to, you know, he hit 233. The strikeout to walk ratio at 41 to 3 was alarming. But as I've said many times, one, this was not a normal year by any means. He was not coming from a case where he was playing every day gauging himself against quality pitchers in the minor leagues. No, he was thrown into the middle of a playoff race in the big leagues, and they actually played better with him behind the plate than they did without him. Um, you know, I, you know, I would have liked to see better plate discipline. Sure. But I think the thing we have to keep in mind with Joey Bart is he's only played 130 minor league games. He was hurt in 2019. He got hurt in the fall league. So he didn't play much there. He was pretty much rushed to the big leagues out of necessity. Um, so, you know, it's just like, you know, a guy who no longer qualifies as a prospect, Joe Adele. Joe Adele struggled horribly as well. But again, Joe Adele had not played much in the upper minors. Joe Adele, you know, got you know thrown into the big leagues and he had a 55 to 7 strikeout to walk ratio and hit 161. But I'm not really concerned about Joe Adele either. I just I'm giving I'm giving, you know, guys pretty much a mulligan for 2020 because it's hard enough to break into the big leagues in a normal year. And this was the most abnormal year you could possibly have. So I'm not, I will say, no, I am not concerned. No, I'm not, I'm not concerned too much. I mean, throw into the fact that, you know, Joe Adele struggled hitting and I, and I'm with you. I still believe in the tool things can figure out. Joey Bart had to do that and was also, you know, catching, you know, working with a major league staff for the first time in his life. It was a huge leap. Um, for for Bart, uh, you know, more so than Adele, who had logged more time in the upper minors. Uh, so I'm not I'm not overly concerned. I think he's going to be just fine. First MLB Pipeline podcast of 2021 in the books. Thanks for listening, everybody. Look for the Pipeline podcast every week on MLB.com, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts.
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 